going to spoil it because, you know, to keep the suspension of disbelief here, but it's actually beautiful here in Southern California this week. It's, it's, it's you know, it's beautiful 72 degrees sunny. Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 27th of January. Hope you've had a good week. January is almost done. Hope you're well and staying as sane as you feel you need to. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm not a rock star, but I'm a three-time CMO and trusted marketing advisor. And with the help of my guests and chums, share the marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com or on LinkedIn at rockstarcmo. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I will be discussing a really interesting report from Sixth Sense about B2B buyers, and I then get transported away in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a thought about managing our own media platform. But first, we need to play the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, it's time for a session with Jeff Clark, our resident strategy advisor, former Forrester Research Director in the Rockstar CMO Marketing Studio. Good afternoon, Ian. Come on into the studio. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. You, you, you're very polite this week. <laughs> good afternoon. I'm, uh, I'm, good afternoon. I'm, uh, yes, I'm feeling like I need to be polite. I don't know. I, it's not like I haven't been polite. I, I don't know. It's a good, really, it's a good question. I've, I've been spending a lot of time on, on the phone with uh, politicians and ministers and people that you need to be polite to so maybe that's where it's coming up yes coming yes and and um and let's get the first uh order of business out of the way snow up there in massachusetts it has it has been snowing uh Mm -hmm. and then yesterday when i had to make a trip to boston which for listeners is about supposed to be a two-hour ride from us it started Mm -hmm. snowing and then raining and then kind of snowing raining snowing raining which is just like the worst. Uh, so all of a sudden I was like a three and a half hour trip or whatever it turned out to be. Yeah, it was about that. It was about that. And anyway, it, um, uh, so the snow is not gone yet, but it's warming up. So nice. we shall see. Very nice. Very nice. We have our regular, yeah, regular sort of weather, gray, kind of not raining, but not really bright, you know, that kind of day, but sort of, Put in your mind what you think British weather's like. It's been like that today. We have... I remember that. I remember that in July. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. One year, it, it's it's surprisingly mild. So we've gone from being in the uh, very low, well, the minus is centigrade. I don't know. I guess twenties, 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 late twenties Fahrenheit. I don't know. 
uh, up to now being like 12 degrees centigrade, which I, 60, 50, 60, I don't know. I can't oh, do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. No, that's yeah, about yeah. there. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, wow. anyway, let's, um, let's get on with business today because we've got a lot to cover. We have um, got a lot to cover. Yeah, it's interesting have, stuff. Yeah. And if anybody uh, follows me on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me at Ian Truscott on LinkedIn. Uh, you might have seen that I refer to what it is we're going to talk about. And I had a nice res- response from uh, from the folks we're going to cover today. So um, this week, uh, you and I have been digging into the 2023 B2B buying experience report research from Sixth Sense, guided by Kerry Cunningham, your former colleague. And definitely a friend of, well, I'd say definitely friend of the show. He's been on the show. <laughs> He's been on the show. I, you know, I think podcasts I listen to, they call that a friend of the show. Yes. Um, yeah. And they had a 33 question survey. I've got to get this right. With over 900 B2B buyers across many industries to find out what's going on in the B2B buying trends. Um, I really like this report. They found some great insights, uh, which affect how we do marketing and selling. And we've picked out some things that we like. Not five effing things, sadly, because uh, we've only got a limited amount of time. Not, but not everybody of... conforms to our editorial guidelines. Oh, I know, it's outrageous, isn't it? So, but we've got a couple <laughs> of... Well, the, the, we set a rod for our own back, right? So if, when the two of us uh, are looking at a thing, it's, it needs to be an even number, doesn't it? We need six. That's, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but we've got a couple each here, and depending on how much time we have, we'll see if we can cover them all. So uh, what say you, Jeff? What do you think of the report? Well, I, I, I like the report um, a lot, and it, it builds on... Um, so when both Carrie and I were at Serious Decisions, mm-hmm. it, we did a lot of work on buyer studies and interviewing, and so they've... Um, I mean, they've picked up on... It's different than some of the work that we used to do, but they picked up a lot of the same concepts and conclusions uh and and really took it to the next the next level to be kind of cliche but <laughs> i i think one of the things uh is that it's like kind of you can only because they've got enough data the number of you know people yeah. that they interview the number of companies they interviewed is that they you can kind of build your own report so if you you know whatever industry maybe region etc yeah. uh you can you can you know drill down into into that level of detail so that's i think it's really great so yeah. um i uh yeah, we're going to to them. We're going to say a lot of nice things about this piece of content. And I think we should point out that this uh, is completely independent. Us go they're, they're, we're not we're not affiliated to Six Sense. They're not paying us. For no, this. <laughs> exactly. We're not affiliated, and, and Kerry's been on the show, but we're not affiliated Six Sense in any way. It is. It's just. It's just really good content marketing, and that was really my first observation I was going to make about how the report is presented. It's not an ebook download. It's kind of like a digital experience, I guess you could call it. Uh, tricky to describe what it is on an audio podcast, but if you look at it, you can sort of flip around places. You can go, and like you say, you can create your own reports based on the data, which kind of reminds me of Forrester in a way. In that we, you know, if you did it, if you did a um, a wave with Forrester, you'd get the data, yeah. and then you could create your own. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. But the most amazing yeah. thing about it, really, uh, in this day and age, is it's completely ungated. And so I spent hours down this uh, particular rabbit hole. And the other thing is, in the interaction I had with uh, Kerry on on LinkedIn, he mentions about that ungated thing. It's a big deal for them, and he, and they've got some research coming up on that as well. So, what do you think? Well, I think it, as you said, it's 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 interesting. It you know, not being a download, it's not a uh, it's not a linear, mm. uh, you know, sort of table of contents where you go. Here's our first conclusion, and now we're yeah. da, da, da. 
And, um, and so it, it in some ways it, it t- took a while to, uh, to figure out because it kind of, mm-hmm. if you just kind of scroll down the page, sometimes you see things repeated and then you don't realize, mm-hmm. oh, I can actually, you know, drill in, go down the rabbit holes. Yeah. So yeah. all told, I know one thing that the, the, uh, the web analytics guys are going to love is it's going to create a long time on page. It's just like, because it is a rabbit. Oh my God. (laughs) Look at this guy from the UK who just like spent two hours in this thing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I'm sure that, listener, you're probably on a walk, having a run in your car or something like that. So probably can't follow along. But if you are looking for the report, and I'll include a link to it in the show notes, it's actually sixcents.com slash report slash buyer buyer dash experience but i think i presume there'll be a link to it on their home page or something like that you'll probably yes. find it yeah, yeah yeah anyway so um let's get on to the findings of the report um so uh, so <laughs> get my words right um <laughs> <laughs> prepare to fail then fail that was what we prepared for so on to the research what's the first thing that stood out for you jeff um the first thing that stood out to me is that um you know Buyers in, initiate the first contact with a vendor 83% of the time. So, mm. uh, and I think, you know, one of the quotes I pulled from, from the report is, you know, they consider an average of four suppliers, but they have largely made up their decisions about, you know, by the time they get in touch with you, they've, they've, you know, they've kind of figured out, you know, what requirements are. Um, you know, I said 78% of the buyers have established requirements before mm. making first content. In some ways, you know, that's actually just, you know, good buying, you know, buying process behavior. Um, and so I think that that's, I mean, the thing is that I, you know, we've always kind of known that, that, you know, people do a lot of the research and work before you run into them. Mm. I think the thing is that it's like, they're reaching out to you. You're yes. not finding them Yes, and they've already made up, you know, a yes. good bit of their mind. Yeah, obviously yeah. they haven't bought anything yet. Um, so, you know, what this means for us marketers is got, you know, we need to be planting seeds for buyers, you know, and, and the way they should be making their decisions way ahead of that first Mm -hmm. content contact. So, you know, thought leadership content, education, articulating buyer needs and, and solutions. Cause that's what, you know, they're typically out looking for is like, who else, Mm -hmm. who else has this problem? How do they solve it? Blah, blah, blah. And so, um, so, you know, education marketing becomes more important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and doing it ahead of getting into your typical funnel. Yeah. Yeah. I like, and, um, the point you made there is really good is that it's behavior we would encourage, right? As consultants and advisors is this idea that they've established their requirements before making first contact, which yeah. is amazing because, uh, you know, so many times when people are trying, um, uh, their, their requirements change as they look at the demo going to market knowing what your requirements are is a really good thing for a buyer to do but that idea of initiating first contact 83 percent of the time is the thing i wanted to pick up on because it suggests to me from our perspective i mean we've always drawn uh we should actually chat about the funnel and what your views are of the funnel i'd be interested in that but we've always you know we've always drawn this sort of funnel like a funnel shape like a kitchen funnel but really, it's a big bucket of prospect or people that could potentially buy your stuff at some point. And then there's this little pipe at the bottom, isn't there, which is actually your pipeline, <laughs> which is, you know, it's, it's a completely different mental model, isn't it? Of the, yeah. And the other and, and um, 
Uh, so the other thing that sort of came to mind when I was looking at this is that um, LinkedIn survey that I think we've referred to, a lot of people refer to, it's, it's from Ernberg Bass, and it's a LinkedIn survey, which I'll also include a link to in the show notes, that a lot of people are referring to about right now is that 95% of your prospective buyers are not in market, which means that that big bucket at the top is, uh, you know, it's got the 100% in, if you like. 5% of them are in market. 83% of that 5% are doing, the, doing all the research for themselves and then they'll drop out, which is why I think that sort of funnel shape has changed, right? And I think that that seems to be, that changes the way you think, doesn't it, as a marketer? Well, it, it, it is. And, you know, it's funny because as you were talking about this and you know, we didn't discuss this beforehand, but it's, it changes the visual from, yeah. a, like you said, the typical kitchen funnel or what you use to pour mortar oil into your yeah. car yeah. to you've got a sink. Yeah. And your sink is the total addressable market or your serviceable market. Yeah. And then there's a little drain yes. <laughs> at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. And there's a little filter yeah, and yeah. and the people that are getting into buying mode or what's going down that drain and it's going quick. You know, once yeah. they decide once they they're going to go down. Yeah, yeah. Once I, they get going, they're going quick. Absolutely. I wrote a blog post about this one before that I think it's a big bucket and then there's a water slide at the bottom because I think When's that wet? You know, if you have got this buyer who's down to four suppliers, they've got a clear favorite already. They've got all the requirements sorted out. That and and you and we're going to talk about time in a moment. That's quite a quick slide down that path, isn't it? So, so what's your second observation? The second one is that uh, if a vendor hasn't won the buyer over during the first two thirds of the buying process, mm -hmm. so which we've talked about, they have a sixteen percent chance of wow. winning the deal. Yeah. So that's just. That means your odds are not yeah. just they're not very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and if 84 percent of the time the first vendor contacted wins the business, that's that's another sort of sub point yeah. on here. That just means your odds are, are really poor, are really poor, yeah. you know, in, unless you've influenced that that front end, you know, before they've they've contacted you or you've somehow contacted them. Uh, that that just, um, you know, that 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 puts you on the back foot. So. One of the things I think this means is critical for marketers is this whole concept of understanding who your target account, mm -hmm. you know, the the total addressable mm -hmm. market down to, do you have a, a target account subset of that? And can you start identifying buying group members? So, mm -hmm. so people who are in the accounts, whether it's information you've purchased, whether it's, you know, historical information, whether it's you're doing intent Using you know intent tools to to find people who are who are sort of in the market and you can start to assign them to this person's you know the champion this person's an influencer you know so building that thing out that buying group which is certainly one of the things that our friend Kerry Cunningham has been uh, talking about for I don't know five or six years now mm -hmm. is incredibly important for marketing to do yeah because because yeah. nobody else is going to do that work. No, because uh, we have the tools to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the that's the one of the things I was thinking about as well. And I also think that when we talk about being relevant as marketers and being and doing personalization and stuff, it's only when somebody hits that little pipe that we just identified at the bottom. If you don't identify your ICP and the hundred percent of your group at the top and start marketing to them at the beginning and doing that education. Then by the time you're aware of them and you see them, there's no point in being personalized and relevant then. They've already made up their <laughs> minds, right? They've already, they've already yeah, right. figured out who you are and they're coming to yeah. you, right? So, yeah. And I also yeah. think that if you combine that with the last two points, 
it sort of suggests that our marketing budgets are a bit skewed as we tend to lean towards lead, lead nurture or demand generation, that bit of known, if you like, of the funnel. Um, and it's all very measurable. You know, we know we, our click-through rates and our open rates and all that stuff um, versus where we probably need to focus, which is on in the sink or the big bit at the top, which yeah. is much harder to measure, isn't it? That's brand and content marketing, category definition work that we have to we have to put up there. And I thought that I thought that for me, I mean, I think we both. I mean, it's not it's not new news, is it? It's just, it's a very good report, but it's not new news. And I think we've been thinking about this, the importance of brand for a while. But there was also another related point in the report that seventy eight percent of B B two B buyers have completely or largely established their requirements for making contact, which I think you referred to just a moment ago as well. And so that means, and, and those requirements don't change in, in the home stretch of the bike. So, so though you, when you do that education in the big bucket, you need to be telling them what they want to look for before they come anywhere near you, right? Outside yeah. the bucket. So they, you, the vendor has very little influence over shifting requirements once they've been in touch. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, it's almost as though they need to be ready to respond to if this is a, if this is the typical set of requirements mm-hmm. we would expect from buyers coming in. We need to be able to know how to respond to that in detail, and I'll touch about I'll touch on that again a little bit uh, yeah, in a little yeah. later. Well, what I also thought in all of this report now, I might have missed something, and maybe you haven't. But in I mean, you and I have been around for a while, and people know that, but. <laughs> But the old school, you know, what I mean, like um, there's a long list of vendors. There's a request for information. There's a request for proposal. And generally you sort of get down to these four suppliers for that final bake off. The, the, what I was catching from this is that that final bake off is happening before, Early. you know, and then you're in the like the, that, those very end, that very end of that process. There's no. There's no influencing what the RFP looks like or the RFI or or, or, that, or any of that education going on. It's already happened, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's probably like, except for government agencies, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, we, we're still going through that that long process. It's yeah. uh, it's quite condensed. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your third point? We're on to number three, aren't we? I, 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 I think we're on to number three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, one thing, and maybe this is not, you know, I, I don't know. It, it could be depending on your your own experience in mm-hmm. in being part of a buying team. But this larger buying teams report shorter, not mm. longer buying cycles. So you know, you may think, oh, you know, big organization. I'm selling to I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm selling. I'm selling to Microsoft or something mm-hmm. like that. They're they're going to take forever because they're going to have all these people involved. Blah blah blah. Uh, but you know, what appears to be happening is that they have more mature buying and purchasing processes internally, and they have personnel who are dedicated to figuring out how to run the process and time to evaluate solutions. So, uh, and again, they've done a lot of that homework up front, creating requirements, blah, 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 you know. And so, you know, what this means is that to me, what this means for marketers is that, you know, you've, you're going to have a very quick selling process and you're going to have a lot of people potentially involved in that process. And so you've got to be able to arm and help sales with developing by developing kind of the educational mm-hmm. tools and other things that kind of help that, that, that process from when they first contact you 
to the end to go smoothly, quickly, and obviously working as much as possible in your favor. Mm. So, but you know, uh, one of the things that in the report, they talked about making sure you have one-to-one subject matter experts and, you know, consultants, uh, have practitioner communities, you know, those are not necessarily new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, your events, you know, educational events, uh, you know, that's where user conferences and other uh, you're going on speaking tours uh, and mm-hmm. trying to bring people up to speed on what's going on in the market. Those things become, you know, really important because that's helping people. It's helping yeah. your company be active and reviewed favorably in that very short uh, last part of the buying cycle. Yeah, but also with that education stuff, the way what I was also seeing in that is that um you have to do all the education in that big blind block at the top, right? Because um, it's like, uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how to structure this feedback without talking about who I'm talking about, but basically <laughs> I kind of had a conversation with I had a con- Company ABC. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a conversation with a vendor and then um, I started looking at their nurture programs and signed up to some stuff. And what I was getting was, basic educational content right now what this report suggests to me that it, me initiating that content i've already done the education there's no point in telling me these are the fundamentals of the category i already know the fundamentals of the category what i need to now do is to figure out how i'm going to differentiate you from the other three that i'm thinking about right so i think that it what's it, what's interesting about that last point you're making about education that kind of You've got to pitch that absolutely spot on right, right? Because if you go too basic when somebody's in that little tiny spout coming out the bottom, they already know that stuff, right? That's why they yeah. come to you. But how do you give away education for free in the big, in the big bucket um, without uh, you know, being penalized and, 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 and trying to justify that to the boss, right? Because why? Well, yeah. I mean, I think this is where your sort of intent monitoring mm. tools become... Yeah. really important because you're you're as as we were talking about it is great that this study was kind of given away free you don't have to, yeah, yeah. to have to fill a form in well that's what everybody's doing and so how do you whether it's from your site or whether it's from a third party site yeah you know uh how, how do you track that people are actually picking this up and who who's picking it up and can i tie it to an account and can i start getting early indicators that this count is they're, they're, you know, they're, they're bubbling in the sink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, absolutely. They're trying to make their way out. Oh, absolutely. The dark funnel, I think is, or dark web, dark funnel, I think. So that's good. Yeah. I don't want to go to the dark web. <laughs> <laughs> but it's dark funnel, isn't it? But the, um, uh, sorry, you completely threw me there. Um, but that, but I think also, I mean, I agree with you. There's, there are going to be data points that we're going to be looking for. But to me, this sort of shifts the, the, shifts us towards a, a form of brand marketing back to the days when, you know, maybe you're not going to be able to count everything and know everything, right? Until, until, the, until, the, um, until the account comes through. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then my, my, my third observation there, really, I mean, all of, all of mine just build on yours, really, is that, um, that, that, that at that point in time where somebody like comes into that little kind of, I like the way we've come out with this little spout thing now. We <laughs> <laughs> the report shares that an average 11 month buying journey from research to close, which I thought was also interesting because that broadly, I think, falls in line. Was it, we, I guess, 
a few years ago we might have talked about an 18 month close on a, on, a, yeah. on a on a very large thing and i know that they've got a broad section of products they looked at so 11 months sounds about right so if they're 70 70 percent into that journey which is the other statistic we just talked about from from when they made contact that's eight months they've been looking at you and you've only got three months from sales contact to close which is relatively short right for for b2b and then i was also like i did just a minute ago i was comparing stuff with other um oft quoted things and like for i know that you know i should probably not mention gartner in the presence of you and kerry but um that's fine <laughs> but they say that um you know when b2b buyers are considering a purchase they spend only 17 percent of that time meeting with potential suppliers so if you think you've got that 11 months and that eight months then you've got only three months to close they're going to spend very little time with you you're sharing that time with another three vendors presumably right it's a very short window. And so I thought that I thought that was that was really interesting in terms of where we tend to put a lot of our marketing investment in, which I was talking about a bit earlier, where we tend to really focus when we're having conversations about B2B marketing. And yet all of this stuff is happening elsewhere. And that's where we yeah. need to invest. So and and I and before we um and I, I know that like I said, this is this is a very good report. It's not new news, but it's but and and I thought when we were chatting before I pressed record, you said this was consistent with what you guys found at Forrester and Serious Decisions back then. Because I think one of the things that we used to talk about a lot is the is the is the fact that is that the there's so much time that the customers doing research before they talk to a salesperson, mm-hmm. which is kind of like in that last point is the is 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 is, is that kind of time span. But in reality, it's like they're spending a lot of time doing it before they would even try to get in contact with with the marketing arm or anything that has to do with the vendor. Uh, so it's putting again, it's putting more pressure on the what we would think of as you know ab- above the funnel. Yeah. Uh, and um, and um, yeah, and so it's it's uh, and I know as we've been throwing around a lot of numbers about the mm. the you know the the buying cycle time and the sales cycle time. But I just remember it's like, you know, so many companies that you and I work for, I mean, it's like when you'd ask, well, what's the sales cycle? Yeah. Um, you know, they'd say, well, for a lot of our products, it's a 12-month sales cycle. Well, mm. I'm wondering, does this refute the fact that there's a 12-month sales cycle? <laughs> there's, there's no way, that, unless you're talking about, you know, multi, multi-million yeah, dollar, yeah. you know, big, you know, $10 million deals or something like yeah. that that are really complex. But, you know, for most products, is it is the sales cycle is has has a lot of that 12 months moved off your books. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's there. It's just that, you know, you've got I mean, a really, you got a real short window from when they even true. possibly, you know, go to your webinar or whatever uh, to when uh, it's done. Oh, for sure. And I also think that if you're talking about B2B software, there's such a range, isn't there? There's, you know, there's stuff that you'd start off with your, on your credit card that then creeps into your organization through product-led growth and then becomes an enterprise solution that we end up spending thousands of dollars on and expected it. Um, all the way through to, like you say, if you're buying an SAP that still exists, doesn't it, I guess, as a, as a massive SaaS solution you're going to need to go through some process with. But, I, but I, I, what I was sort of reading into this is that I think that maybe we've we 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 be to be marketers well there's a lot of that old perception floating about about how much of that process you're in control of because i think and it makes a huge amount of sense today there is so much content so much information so much research somebody can do and they will invest the time to do that 
um, before they actually speak to the vendor. Whereas I think in days gone yore, that information maybe wasn't so available and the vendor actually did a lot of the education earlier in the process directly, right? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or know. it was all about brand, you know, yeah, who's yeah. the IBM, the vendor that, you you know, you can't yeah. make a bad decision with, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So um, it still exists today, but we need, we, nobody recognized. I think that, I think that big brands like HubSpot, Adobe, they, they I mean, I, I guess they win, they still win a lot of business because they're a trusted brand and, and it isn't a feature function war for those folks, is it? At yeah. All? yeah. 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 Okay, well, I mean, we've got to wrap up. I've just, uh, as as usual, my oft-quoted quote from this podcast is, oh my God, look at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think my conclusion from reading this research, although also one of the things is, is, is it's a, I think it's a wonderful content marketing asset because it's mainly just exposing its research. And I also think this is a, this is a great advocate for if you're if you've got a marketing budget push some into research because i think everybody knows who six cents and i think it's because of a lot of this work they do but anyway um so they don't really it's not really a it's not a story like you said it's not here's a thing and here's a conclusion and by the way by six cents it's 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 very much a very generous piece of research but i think that my conclusion then is that modern b2b sales and marketing it's about that education phase um and and that you need to and that the buyer is getting very fixed on the requirements, very ready before they even contact you. So it's sort of playing in that big, it's, it's brand in building the in the big sink. Yeah. Playing <laughs> in the sink. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. and then unless you're the favorite, unless you're in the final four and maybe the preferred one in that final four, you will have very limited time to change that perception once they're out of the sink. So you've got to make yeah. it happen there. So what was yours? Well, I think I, I sort of, I mean, I sort of broke my observation down into like, you know, from a, from a budget perspective, yeah. it, it follows right on what you're saying, you know, yeah. putting budget into brand and education, you know, above funnel yeah. stuff is, yeah. is, is absolutely important. And whether you're doing that by campaigns and all kinds of other ways of looking at your budget, it's still that that's I think that's where a big slice of the, of the dollar euro pound goes <laughs> from a, from a, a kind of a tech perspective or I, maybe an operational perspective, I think, you know, getting into understanding buying signals and, and building mm. buying teams and certainly, you know, carrying a number of us, you know, were, were exposed to companies that were, you know, they would, they would put opportunities in their CRM system that were basically their target accounts. And then anytime mm. they got signals from any of those yeah. target accounts, it's like, okay, click, there's... There you know, I, I've given them a point and I'm establishing it, whether I know the individual's name or not. I'm trying to establish that there's a buying member out there. Yeah. Uh, and then I think from a staff time perspective outside the operations team is that is that helping sales be productive in these short sales cycles mm. is uh, is really important. Absolutely. And one of one of the other things, not to go too far down on a tangent, is I remember one of the things that I did at, at Serious Decisions was working with... Um, Vendors to build requirements lists for typical purchases, like, you know, mm -hmm. marketing resource management or analytics or something like that. And then, you know, once you kind of build the list, you, you know, you go back, you share that with clients. This mm -hmm. is kind of what you should be looking at if you're purchasing, you know, system like X. But you also share it with the vendors to say, hey, can you check <laughs> yeah, how yeah. well you do on these things? And, and yeah. is that, yeah, you know, but you're category you defining. It, yeah, you're category defining at that point, you, which is what yeah, the, and the and you're kind of sorting out 
you know, particularly when you get big categories like yeah, analytics, yeah. it's like, well, there's analytics that do web, there's analytics that do the entire bundle. That, so, mm. so that's where you start to see how people, where vendors play. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, but we were we were trying to help clients figure out how to make good decisions, and and it turns out that uh, we must have been doing a good job because <laughs> they're doing all that work ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, you wandered off on a bit of a tangent there, but I'm glad we looped it back to uh, to the good work that you were doing at CSC. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. And so um, I'll include a link to uh, that report in the show notes, as well as a couple of things that we've referred to there. And uh, let's move on to the third agenda item. What song are we going for this week, Jeff? Well, Bjork had a song in 1995 called It's Oh So Quiet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when you play this, you're, you're, you're probably going to go because she starts out very quiet, like, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really know what's going on. And then yeah. all of a sudden, bang, yeah. uh, it, uh, she's right in front of your face. And yeah. so... Um, or as you've had zing boom hello, hello. <laughs> uh, and so there's your there's your client right yeah. hello I'm here <laughs> yeah make That's me want to buy your stuff exactly love it all right so I'll play out of it so so quiet by Bjork from 1995 and will I see you in the studio next week mate a week yes I'll see you then cheers buddy. Thank you, Jeff. And that was, of course, a little bit of the splendid Oh So Quiet from Bjork. And I include a link to that and the report from Sixth Sense and the other stats we refer to there in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Gravy Mubbits, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar on what has seemed like a really long week. I don't know why, yeah. but it has seemed like a, a really long and busy week, which I guess is good in a way. Well, you had um, your webinar this week, didn't you? That we're, feeling, that we're feeling like we're kicking off 2024 and sort of being mm-hmm. busy, which is, mm-hmm. nice. which is good. Yeah. Um, but we do it. We'd have a lovely uh, cocktail, a little mm-hmm. bit of a, I would say, a complex uh, cocktail uh, because I don't know, I'm feeling fancy. Um, (laughs) Nice. Yeah. yeah. So um, it is a tequila. It's, it's a really interesting one. I think you're going to like it is, it is, it is, it is a nice drink uh, that is tequila and beer of all things. And it is a sort of a Mexican flavor here. Um, And basically this is called a Lobatania. and uh, and and basically the the ingredients as we sort of make them are so you take mezcal mm-hmm. and that's different so than yeah. tequila um, so if just 
for your knowledge, not that anybody wants to know this triviality around tequila. All tequilas are mezcals, but not all mezcals are, are tequila. Uh-huh. So mezcal is a, uh, is a form of tequila, but it is typically smokier. It is typically um, a more, you know, a, a, a older sort of drink um, than, than tequila, which has more of the, the sort of sweetness to it, if you will. So you take two parts of mezcal, whichever you like, mm-hmm. um, and then you have some orange juice, and then you put a little bit of lime, so maybe a half ounce of lime juice, you know, just enough, now, not just a squeeze, but a, a good amount of lime juice. And so you take that mezcal, you take the lime juice, you take the orange juice, put that in there, and then you add a little bit of, and this is a little bit difficult to find, this is where it gets a little more complex, <laughs> habanero bitters, um, which is basically just a spicy bitters. You can find it uh, in most um, in most good liquor stores. And then here's the here's the kicker: is that you take uh, a Mexican lager. Like I I prefer Modelo um, mm-hmm. as my Mexican beer. I love Mexican beer; it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So Modelo is my favorite of that. And then, but you could use a Tecate. You could use. I mean, if you really had to, you could use a Corona. But you know, mm-hmm. I mean, let's just garbage beer. But um, <laughs> anyway. And so at, you basically combine all the ingredients except the beer. Mm-hmm. So the habanero, the, uh, the orange juice, the, the lime, and of course the mezcal. Put all of that into a cocktail shaker. You fill it with ice. You shake it up. Get it all good and shaked. And then basically uh, add the beer because obviously you don't want to shake the beer. So you put, add the beer to the shaker. And then you strain all of that into – uh, a Pilsner glass or, or mm-hmm. a, a glass that you like. And, um, and you, and then you have yourself a La Botania, which is basically tequila and beer and habanero bitters and lime and orange juice. It's a fantastic drink. Um, I promise you, you'll really like it. It sounds delicious. And we actually, um, uh, you say that people aren't interested in the details of these cocktails, but I actually had some feedback on LinkedIn that that you need to write this book. <laughs> yes, so I have been. I have been. Yes, it's item number seven hundred and sixty three on my to do <laughs> list. It's it's it, it's it's there. It's it's absolutely there. I do have designs on doing it at some point. I look forward to it. Yeah, I'll have to give a shout. Actually, it's, it's Nick Stein. He's the CMO at CI Hub connector ci hub ah, connector, okay I think, but, uh, anyway he he mentioned you and he mentioned that the world needs this cocktail book so anyway we're um we're we're enjoying these cocktails rather than you writing about them uh where are we going to this week robert well i think we have to go to mexico for this um yes mainly because of the temperatures outside mm-hmm. and the raininess and, 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 you know, sort of the general blahness of winter that the weather <laughs> seems to be now. Um, I think we should head to the Gulf side uh, yeah. of Mexico, um, anywhere along the coast there, down near, uh, you know, any, anywhere along there, you know, along the, mm-hmm. along the Gulf would be yeah. just lovely. Um, and because it'll be nice and warm, the water will be warm, and we can stick our toes in the sand and sit out on one of those little cabana uh, tables and just sit and have these drinks until we, <laughs> until it makes us take a siesta. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the way how this chap from Southern California is talking to a bloke from the UK and saying how miserable the weather is. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I would I would tell you I was I wasn't going to spoil it because you know to keep the suspension of disbelief here, but it's actually beautiful here in Southern California this week. It's it's, it's you know it's 
beautiful 72 degrees sunny and you know it's it's the reason you live in southern california is january february so absolutely all right mate well we've got our toes in the water on the on the mexican gulf coast and our conversation turns to marketing what are we talking about this week well we'll talk a little bit about owned media um Mm -hmm. you know it is a it's a big we identified it as one of the you know in our predictions Last year, at the end of last year, it's a trend that we're seeing. It is a, you know, it's undoubtedly a focus for many marketing organizations is to get good at an owned media uh, management and a process in order to create whatever it's going to be, right? Whether it's your blog, resource center, thought leadership program, event strategy, um, whatever it is that owned media means for your particular business. And what we're discovering is that the muscle that is not there for many organization is the skills around how to manage that. And it's interesting because this is, it's sort of a reboot, if you will, of the owned media idea, because what so many businesses have in their head you know, so you'll remember this. You'll mm-hmm. remember back in 2016, 2017, everybody had their sort of 2020 project. Remember the 2020 initiatives, you know, <laughs> they would have posters up all over the wall, you know, hey, our 2020. And part of the 2020 initiative for all these businesses, so many of them, mm-hmm. but one of them was get rid of all these owned media things, right? Microsites right. and landing pages and little you know, rogue communities and rogue blogs and all these things that were out there. (laughs) Um, You know, there was one client that we worked with back there that had literally had hundreds of little microsites because basically marketing teams, demand gen teams, brand teams, whatever the teams, they would want to do a campaign or a new product launch or something like that. And they would be like, we, it needs its own microsite. It needs its own thing, right? It needs its own content hub. And so they would launch it. And the challenge is that they would run it like a campaign. They would run it, you know, they would be up and then it would be done. The campaign would be done and it would sort of go fallow and basically the weeds would grow up around it. But then it was still there and nobody wanted to take it down because people are like, well, it helps with SEO, I guess, or somebody really liked it or there was politics involved. And basically (laughs) the 2020 campaigns were all like, no, 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 no. We're going to clean all this up. We're going to get down to one site. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is we most bet my most businesses, maybe many businesses is a better way to say it kind of over indexed on that. Right. They basically started saying, no, 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 we're not launching anything new, right? Where everything has to fit within the confines of the corporate website. And of course that doesn't work either. So as owned media is becoming a thing again, and we're thinking about launching that digital magazine or that email newsletter, or even to some extent, a, a, a webinar program or a podcast or something like that, where we want to create a, uh, an owned media property. What we're finding is, is that these skill sets, the responsibilities, the charter needs a team or a person that isn't literally an editorial product manager and, and, and mm-hmm. literally a product manager, because this is the person that's going to ensure that it's not run like a campaign. It's not run in a temporary way, um, but it's actually managed, promoted and, and operated like one of the products and services of the business. Because our position is that if you're going to have anything in an owned media property, it should have 
all of the importance and strategic function of one of your products and services. Otherwise, you have to ask yourself why you have it. Yeah. Right. In other words, if the website or the blog or the resource center isn't as important as one of your products and services, then you really have to ask, well, why do we have it if it's not that important? So we're finding that these editorial product managers um, where there is success sort of come with five uh, elements of skills, which is one, editorial and journalism, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean necessarily the ability to write or create content, although these people can probably do that, but it refers rather to managing the quality of the content on that platform and being sort of the, what we call the arbiter of good, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they acknowledge, know, and have the power to approve the product itself, you know, the, the contents of the product itself. The second is sort of a product management or design thinking idea, which is core to any product manager, being able to sort of look at the audience's needs, the jobs to be done, if you like that framework, or design thinking, if you like that framework, and think about this thing as serving a product function to an audience or a customer, if you will. The third is elements of te technology and data, because at the core of this is going to be first-party data and the ability to use metrics, data, et cetera, to affect a marketing result. The fourth is some level of business and or marketing acumen, right? So in mm -hmm. other words, it needs to be promoted. It needs to be, have a paid campaign. It needs to have a PR strategy. It needs to have all of these kinds of things to help promote this as one of our products and services. So it needs that as well. And then the final one is to be able to lean into sort of the strategic call it the politics, call it the relationship, call it the liaison with the rest of the organization. It needs to be able to stay tied to the rest of the business goals. And so it needs that level of, of, of strategy management as well. And so with those five sort of elements, it becomes a very specific role or charter for a team or a person to take on. And we're just seeing that Every business that we're noticing that is successful with their owned media thought leadership or owned media properties has one or multiple of these people in charge of the actual product, not treating it like a campaign, not looking at it as a sort of adjunct to our product and service, but rather mm -hmm. a product and service and sort of servicing uh, the business as such. Yeah, I love this. It, it does sound a bit like a a. a a product manager in the traditional sense, doesn't it? With that, with those skills in terms of writing and editorial, uh, the, 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 the product mark, the, sorry, the product, the project management element of this, they've got to understand the technology, um, and be connected with the business. It's very like, very like a product manager, isn't it? In, in a traditional marketing sense. I don't know why, why I'd call a product manager, traditional marketing or product yeah. marketing, traditional marketing but it is kind of now this is this is quite a this is quite an interesting beast you've developed here it is it's yeah. it's it's it shifts some of the it both shifts some of the responsibility as well as aggregates mm -hmm. elements of you know because every one of those things any one of yeah. those things was probably being done at some level by someone, right? It just sort of inherently has to work that way, right? If you, so if you, you know, if you have a corporate blog, there's probably a team or somebody that owns the corporate blog, right? Mm -hmm. And they, you know, and to whatever degree the owning of that blog, it, the, the definition of that is what is really usually missing. Like, you know, when I go into a yes. business and, and I talk to, 
you know, the VP of marketing or the CMO. And I say, oh, tell me about your corporate blog. It's like, oh, well, that's owned by the PR and comms team. Okay, great. What does that mean? What do they own? Well, Mm. that means they push all the buttons and they make content happen on the website. It's like, okay, does it, do they, do they get to say what goes up? Well, no, everybody sort of sends in their stuff to be published there and they sort of make sure to schedule it and get it published. It's like, okay, well, that's not owning the product. That's actually just, you know, they're in charge of making sure that the dam doesn't overflow, right? I mean, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's having the the strategic leading capability to be that arbiter of good, but to also manage the results of it that, you know, it's sort of having the responsibility and the power to make things happen that defines that product manager team or that product manager person over that owned media property. And I think you should, I think businesses should have one for the website. I think you should have one for every new email newsletter. I think they should have one for every blog, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you could, and and are these organizations calling this role a product manager within marketing or what are they what, what's there, the title it, some are them? actually yeah, yeah the 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 example that i would use is uh service now mm-hmm. a wonderful company um that a technology company and a eh, big ish company yeah. um and they have their uh their what they call workflow which is a content brand that they operate. It is both a digital magazine as well as an online website and a education platform. So they call it Workflow. And the people who run it, there are two, Richard Murphy and Sheila Dowd, and they operate like a media company, right? So Richard works as the editor and publisher uh, on the content side, you know, uh, basically mm-hmm. skills one and three, I guess that would be. Yeah. And then Sheila tackles all the audience development and the paid and organic search and the promotions. And she's more like the skills two and four. So they sort of split up those nice. skills yeah. across the two of them and they operate it like a little business. Yeah. And uh, like, like uh, I think we've talked about before, they're like a little media company within the company, aren't they? Just that's the right. Of them. It sounds perfect. That's yeah. right. Yeah, what a that's right. Example. And the challenge is, of mm-hmm. course, that last skill, yeah. which they would be the first ones to tell you is one of the biggest challenges, which is that liaison between mm-hmm. the rest of, you know, because the risk is when you do it like that, that it becomes a silo, right? That it yeah, becomes yeah. its own yeah. thing. And you've got to make sure to keep that liaison with the rest of the business so that you're staying relevant, right? Staying relevant to the overall purpose, which, of course, is marketing and sales or comms or brand or whatever the goals are of the of the of the product yeah you've also got to do that internal marketing the marketing thing haven't you otherwise you you, it it sort of drifts away on an island and then somebody will just cut it off eventually won't they if you indeed if if you get too isolated if you go too far out on that little string uh, or whatever it is that's that's really interesting and where would um where would people find a well edited well product managed technically up to speed thing that's really connected with the business robert <laughs> <laughs> i tried <laughs> yes yes that is a, a a very long way of teeing up a promotional effort for me thank you very much um content marketing institute is where you can find an article that i wrote on this mm-hmm. particular topic and so okay. that would be uh interesting and then of course uh, you know, you can find these kinds of articles on our own website, which is contentadvisory.net. Going under yet another <laughs> redesign project for 2024 because 
that's the way we roll. We're pivoting all the time. So we're, we're, we're in the process of redesigning our site, even as we speak. <laughs> Splendid. And um, that's your column is the rose colored glasses column, right on CMI. Cause uh, that's that is correct. To yes. Thank notes. you for knowing that. Yes. Splendid. Yes. And uh, when uh, we spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you personally? Uh, LinkedIn. I am all over LinkedIn. We are having a grand old time on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, uh, really putting a lot of content out there. So would love to connect with everybody on, on LinkedIn. Just, You're also uh, big on, on YouTube level. now, aren't you, with the shorts, with this up We're on, yes, on the, yeah. on the, on the podcast, yeah. uh, for Joe and I, we are really focusing in on YouTube. Yes. Um, it's no secret to everybody that, you know, and this is probably worth a show in itself yeah. that podcasting is in a, bit of a challenge right now um you know with yes. especially with apple changing the mm -hmm. way that they measure downloads yeah, yeah. um everybody in november and december of last year and the starting the, those <laughs> those those chickens are coming to roost in <laughs> january yeah. um where everybody's seeing their numbers go way down which is yeah. good for the audience and actually good for metrics because it's more accurate but yeah. boy did it hurt um yeah. and so podcasting in the place that it is right now we're really focusing in on becoming a youtube show that is also a podcast yeah yeah and the way the algorithm works is i basically get you and joe <laughs> every other every other video at the moment so it's fantastic all right buddy well that's good i'm and the yes where our understanding is is that it takes time for that to actually work uh-huh um for so we're we've been creating shorts we've been yeah. creating sort of uh, um, smaller breakout sort of uh, videos. So we create the shorts, which are 30 seconds to a minute. We create the sort of uh, long shorts, if you will, which are, you know, six minutes of a topic. And then of course we have the whole show and we put all that out. Um, and, uh, uh, and it's a lot of production, I will tell you. Um, <laughs> and it seems to be starting to work, but it takes, but our understanding is that it takes like eight months for it to really kick in. Wow. wow. Well, I mean, I'm seeing you in my, in my stream all of the time. So they obviously know, you know, that, <laughs> where, where my fandom lies. So that's fantastic. All right, mate. Well, it would be just super helpful if you would just put that on loop and just play it all day. <laughs> if you would. Just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be slightly creepy if I did that, mate. It's bad enough as it is. So if we, if we, um, uh, but most importantly to me, I mean, it's lovely you're on the digitals and all that stuff, and you're on my loop. But will you be in the bar next week? Of course I will. I'll see you next week, mate. Thank you, Robert. With all the changes to the social media algorithms, the challenges with rented land, third-party cookies, and all of that stuff. Owned media is definitely where it's at right now. Some great advice there. So that's a wrap on episode 202 of the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insights. And you can find links to us, our work, and all the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I would love to hear from you. So please say hello or drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will be diving into the relatively new discipline of revenue operations and Robert will be surprising me in the virtual bar with a fresh marketing thought. Until then, have a great week and I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. 
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.